from Havili was magic. The shift on for Crotty. Boom, far down you go, Quackett Smith. Me, oh my, I haven't enjoyed that. Yes, boy. Draft Rugby, the game they play in heaven. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 21 of the Draft Rugby Show, the show they play in heaven. I'm your host, Kargi, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Harry Dale. Harry, how are we doing? Very good, mate. Good to be here. And uh, funnily enough, Nelson up against me in the Fantasy Footy semifinals after his spanking in round one of two, he's decided not to show his face. Yes, look, um, you know, I'm sure he'll come on next week and say there was no correlation. But um, as far as I can tell, he's driven pretty far out of Sydney. It's kind of like an act of fleeing the city, really. <laughs> absolutely, it, absolutely. So, and, and you think the cowardice, like, there's still a whole week to go, but he's already given up hope. It's it's fantastic. Next thing we know, we'll get footage. He'll be on a boat over to New Zealand or something, you know what I mean? So anyway, but um, no, very good. Um, that's some spoilers for tonight. We're going to talk about uh, the quarterfinals, Super Rugby Pacific quarterfinals. Very exciting. Um, we're going to preview the the final four, the semifinals, and for dessert, uh, I say as I scroll down to figure out what we are going to talk about for dessert. Um, in our notes, we're going to talk about Wallaby Centre combos. So continuing our theme from the last couple of weeks, where we've analysed Wallabies' positions and who we think are the incumbents, the new pl- players that could get in there, and some Smokies mm-hmm. and whatnot. Yeah, very good. Um, can't wait to get into that, actually. I'm, I'm, we're going to put the pressure of the firecracker on Nelson. He's got to get home and uh, make that image up for us because I don't think he's started yet. Um, so <laughs> that's how I like it. Uh, just before we do kick on, though, let's talk about mm. Super Brew because mm. uh, there can be only one, and <laughs> there is only one on 101.5 points. He's miles ahead. Sensation all the way back at 97.25 and Brad Breath at 96.5. So it's... It's a one-horse race at this point, and what a legend to be this far out ahead. I think he's probably doubled my tipping score at the moment. So uh, huge congratulations to John Barkley for just cleaning up. And special shout-out quickly to Lorp as well, who's jumped up to fourth, 92.83 points. We'll have to get him on the pod. Um, But just because, I mean, first of all, the balls to chuck a name out there, there can be only one. And then to follow, follow through and be in a class of your own, I mean... What a, what a guy. Well, look, I think if he's listening, we'll get him to message us his preview tips for the grand final because of the semifinals and the grand finals, really, because yeah. I'd love to announce what he had predicted mm-hmm. uh, for the grand final on the podcast so everyone knows who's going to win because, I mean, clearly <laughs> the margin as well, like give us the exact finishing score, I reckon. That's it, exactly, because it, at this point it's not like he needs to keep it hidden. He's won. He's won that the draft rugby Super routine comp, so very good. Um, he is the predicting octopus, essentially. <laughs> yeah. How good. And then, look, fantasy, yes, uh, Harry talked about it, the Battle of the Dales. It's, uh, we've got in our draft rugby fantasy, we have a two-week uh, semifinals leading on to the grand final. And so Harry's taken out week one of two against Nelson. It'll be hard to recover from here. And what was the score on the other one? It was Taco and um, Tinker. Yeah, Taco's up by about 75. I'm up by about 55 odd from memory. So both both still alive, but um it's gonna be hard to come back against Taco when he just picks Mark Talia first again. The guy's just worth too many points. It's completely unfair. He is. He he is. And having said that, uh in not not that there is any other um fantasy to talk of, but uh, I'm getting absolutely spanked in my wooden spoon losers uh, battle. Uh, despite having Mark Talaire in my team, I'm down by about 150 points oh, um, with uh, Chrissy bagging about se- a score of about 700 and I got 550. So Wow. You know, 
Mm, so not looking great for me. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to need Marky Mark to really get, you know, 150-point week for me next week. Um, but anyway, what can you do? So with that, let's get into our entree for tonight, the quarterfinals. We were blessed with four great games of footy, actually. Um, spoilers, not not as much of a, a blowout, most of them, as we would have thought-ish, sort of. Actually, Something. I think, let's go. First game, Blues versus Waratahs, <laughs> 41 to 12. They won by 29. I think I went the highest and I said 26. So, you know, the, the depressing thing was the Blues kicked a penalty at full time. Like, <laughs> yeah. to 12, there's like, nah, Harry can't have this one. Take the <laughs> points. Ruined my, uh, ruined my tip. But I, I would say that's exactly as one-sided as I expected. It was still that, depressing, though. Well, the great thing about that is that just shows that they do listen to the podcast. That's and right. They, they do factor that in. You know, it's not just me trying to make sure that Dale's incorrect. It's the whole Super <laughs> Rugby teams themselves. So um, that's that's great. But the yeah, I mean, point for that mm. one for me was just the mm. first half decision making and execution, right? The the Tars went down 17 7 at half time, but they should have had another 10 points. Firstly, yeah. there was the, well, it was not in this order, but Dylan Peach obviously having the ball knocked out from a try saver from Finlay Christie, who had a great game, diving for the line, yeah. ball in the right hand on the inside arm, and had it knocked out. Like that bloke's going to be told all week long that he needs to learn to hold him in the outside hand. So, I don't yeah. want to be the one to say it to him, but uh, I, I would hope as a as good a player as he is coming through, he'll learn mm. from that. And hopefully we never, ever see him hold it in that arm again. Agreed. Agreed. Started strong, but no, Tars, yeah, some poor execution and decision-making. Well, the other decision-making I was going to say, which I wanted to touch on, was oh, sorry, Michael yeah. Hooper has never, ever understood when to take points and when to go for the line. Now, I'm not here to, to heap shit on Michael Hooper, one of the greats of Australian rugby on his last game, but it it, it is frustrating to watch in a, in a quarter, quarter final of Super Rugby that they have a pretty easy shot at goal and instead we take a challenging kick to touch, end up 15 metres out, and, of course, it materialises to absolutely nothing. And you just it just gets you thinking, like, does he think the only way they're going to beat the Blues is by scoring five or six con- uh, converted tries? Because otherwise, what the hell is the point of that option? It, it, it was early in the game. They would have been able to accumulate some points. It's just... I was pulling my hair out, and that was that point when we when we didn't execute there, where I just went, "We're screwed." Like you, you can't you can't have this kind of uh, mentality against a team like the Blues at home. Agreed. Uh, I probably would have let it slide and not um, heap shit on the, um, the captain of, of Australian rugby, but that's right. That's the hard hitting editorials you get here at this podcast. Um, I'm, I'm nothing if not honest. <laughs> but no, moving on the uh, the Chiefs and the Reds. This game was perhaps much closer than we we expected. Um, the Reds did give a red hot crack, and they really did have that belief from beating the Chiefs in New Zealand and being the only team to beat the Chiefs in the Super Rugby season um, a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, I had a, gave them a really good run for their money. Um, lots of kicks was the point you had for this game, Harry. Yeah, 92 kicks in the match. The other games were 39, 37 and 37 kicks. So essentially two and a half to three times as many kicks as the other the other matches in the quarterfinals. It was the massive, massive outlier, right? Like it, it was so obvious that the Reds had come into this game thinking, okay, we cannot afford just to go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs. We're just going to play kicking battle all day long. They're going to have to score from 80 out. And then they just put the physicality on them. Like I, I, I think... In particular, Filippo Dangunu was exceptional in defence. He was just putting mm. on massive hits all night. It was so good to see. And, yeah. geez, it, it almost worked for them. They were pretty unlucky with a few calls and they kind of faded very, very late. But on another night, they really could have stolen, I think. 
Yeah, Matt, there's a lot of physical that physicality was a theme across the quarterfinals here. But yeah, there was it was great for all like when they did players did go down for injuries across all the games. It was just fantastic replays of players smashing each other or like really running it in from 30 meters. And you know, you saw Harry Wilson some awesome runs and things. It was that was pretty awesome. But um yeah, yeah another game that had lots of physicality, but not the same close score line. The Crusaders running away with that one 49 to 8 against the Drua. Plenty of physicality in that one. In fact, so much physicality that Crusaders ended the game with 13 players. I you, you I mean who am I to uh, question Razor Robinson, the sixth row champion? But I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> now, Richie Moonga is quite clearly the most important man in Super Rugby to any side, right? Mm. Where they're up 48 to to eight or whatever it was late in the game, and they decide to leave Richie Moonga on when they could have taken him off for Fergus Burke. He stays on the go on the field and then limps off late with what looked like an ankle injury. In hindsight, we find out that it was uh, just severe calf cramp. But the point remains, why would you risk the guy? Like, the game was over. Take him <laughs> off and wrap him in cotton wool. I'd have taken him off at 40, maybe 45 <laughs> at worst, you know? Like, as soon as the game's done, it's like, yep, job done, off the field, start recovery. We need this bloke for every single minute of the finals. That's it, right? And it was funny because, like, he he's he's his ego got a bit of a uh, bit of a tap as well because there was once I think uh, pretty late in the game. Uh, I'm going to butcher his name again, but cr- the, the second row, Krugan de Vetta, um, to, had this Krugan big carry. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I knew I was going to butcher it, but love this bloke. Anyway, um, just absolutely bumped him off. He went flying, and uh, and then Richie, to his credit, got up and was like, "No, no, I'm not having this be the replay of the whole night. I'm not getting this on Monday morning." And so he came back trying to really put some hits on players, which yeah, as a coach, you'd be like. What have we done here? We should have got him off. But um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I think they played the last 15 minutes with 14 men and then the last 10 with 13 men just because they had taken too many players off. It was crazy. Ran out of subs. I think Zach Gallagher limped off and who was the other one? And Ethan Blackadder as well was kind of on and off. So He, he was on for about five minutes, I think. <laughs> in, in my eyes, nothing you can do there, right? Like I think Razor's done the right thing. He's emptied his bench early to try and give his, his players a, a run and try and manage some minutes, but... Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a blight on the the Indrua who had just had such a monumental achievement of making the finals, and they looked like emotionally they just weren't quite as switched on and into the game as they had been the week before against the Reds. They they really didn't offer a whole lot of resistance, and you'd like to think against thirteen men you could sneak a couple of late tries to maybe make the game the scoreline look a little bit more uh, uh, respectable, but just not to be. It wasn't their night, and the Crusaders march on. That's it. Speaking of marching on, the third game of the round, um, we had the Hurricane, or not the third game, but in, in the Hurricanes game, marching on, Devin Flanders, 60-metre try. He had absolutely no right to score that, and that is some of the worst day I've ever seen. But credit to him, he ran 60, and he Dylan Peach can certainly take a lesson uh, less out of his book because he switched hands, fend to the right, foot push someone off, switched hands, fend to the left, push someone off in some incredibly poor day. But um, yeah, wowzers on that one. Can you imagine? So that this is the Brumbies 37 beating the Hurricanes 33, we should say as well. But I want to see if this was in, in in Wellington, I think the crowd should all just in unison go, Flanders! <laughs> It'll be the greatest call ever. <laughs> every single time he gets the ball. This is true. This is this is this is an opportunity that they are missing greatly. Um, yeah, it's the new Waiseki Naholo chant. Like you know, it's going to leave it for dust though. 100%. So so good. 
<laughs> I mean, look, there, there's there's two things here which I, I think we'll get to in a little bit more detail. Um, mm. But obviously, there was the ah, uh, is it? Yeah, no, we will we will get to it in our listener questions. The RDS to be a try, no mm. try. Um, we'll, yeah. we'll get to the debate before, but what an intense way to end the game, you know? Like everyone's just like heart in mouth. All eight thousand fans that turned up to the quarterfinal, both teams just. Before we get on to the actual talking point, how mm. about Artie's interview after? The bloke, you know, I think I remember him having that kind of poor moment on field where he lost his temper maybe last year, was it? And other mm. than that, he's always been the most just respectful, amazing leader ever. And this is just another example. Like, how does someone come off that emotionally charged and mm. answer like that? Like, yeah, yeah, I thought I got it down, but, you know... Mm. These things happen and what a special moment. And he just turned it into a positive and you could see he was upset, but far out the class of the bloke. How good. Mate, can you just, if we compare that, can you imagine Nelson Dale in that interview, opposed to that uh, post that try not being awarded? Like, whew, I don't know how you're not swearing your head off, but yeah, absolute class of the bloke. It was amazing. But um, yeah, what a, that's what you want in quarterfinal footy though. A, a match that goes down to the wire. So yeah. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, yeah. we, we did predict it was going to be the closest, and it was. It was a cracker. And I think a little bit like the Hurricanes versus Crusaders just before the end of the season or, or in round 15, the Hurricanes mm-hmm. took a long time to get going. The first half, the Brumbies were dominant, and then the Hurricanes in the second half were so, so good. That's it. They realised that they needed to win the game. They're like, hold on, we've got to, we've got to actually get over here. So, yeah, that no, was very good. Um, all right, well, look, that, those were the games on the weekend. Um, in terms of fantasy, uh, fantasy man of the week, none other than Mark Delayer. <laughs> continuing to march on every round almost as the top player. Um, 88 points, 15 carries for 117 metres, a try, two line breaks, 11 tackle busts. I can't wait to see what his uh, tackle busts end up on the end of the season. And surely that's got to be a record. We've got to search every rugby competition that's ever been played and see if anyone has got... Because he must be up to like... He must be close to... He's getting close to a hunt. Maybe he's like in the 80s. Yeah. I can't remember, he's, he, if he can get he's to saying. 100 tackle busts in a season, like, my God. Um, and an offload, uh, huge from him. Notables, we had Artie with 76. Of course, if he'd bagged that try, would have take, probably taken man of the round. But uh, Shooter and Narawa, both on 68 points. Richie and D-Mac, 63 points. And Cody Taylor and Lester Fyanganuku, both on 62 the funny thing with Artie as well is he obviously had the setup for Kenny Naholo's first try where he ran down the side, threw the offload back in. But mm. then playing at seven, it's like they told him that his role was just to hit the rucks like Karifi normally would. Like we didn't see him for about 45 minutes after that. And then all of a sudden, second half turns up and we get the Artie Severe of like, all right, boys, I'm doing this. Everyone else just get out of the way. I reckon he told the coach at halftime, you're putting me to eight. Like, I'm done. I'm not hitting another ruck. Give me the ball. And then I reckon of those 76 points, 60 of them would have been in the second half. And I dare say if they started him at eight, the Hurricanes would have won by five and he would have had 120 points. He's just that good. Ridiculous. Yeah, there's no, there's, there's no one else really quite like it when they just he just decides to put the rest of the team on his shoulders and says, yeah. get out of the way. I got this. You know, it's it's huge. Um, we I don't think we had we did the super sub with the captain mud for the week. Um, so we'll skip those. But back on to speaking of Artic Severe, back onto our listener question for the week, um, which we've touched on, but it was did Artie score that try or not? Uh Harry, you chucked a poll up on Twitter. What was the result of said poll? Yeah, I mean it's it's still going because I was at the farm when I did this and I didn't think about timelines, but mm. I'm not 
guessing there's going to be a big late swing. So I will give you the votes. After 275 votes, which, you know, it's a solid turnout, 21% say yes, the ball was down, 78.9% say no, it was held up. So a four out of five are thinking that I think the right decision was made. One out of five, pretty frustrated with the end result. I think the frustrating thing is as a neutral the referee went about it exactly as we've asked. He made his on-field call. He thought it was held up. The TMO went up. It's always hard to overturn those decisions because the the uh, visual on the ball is always so hard to see. I think the defending teams are so good now at just making sure they cover the camera as quickly as possible and take away vision. But mm. I, I thought it was wrecked really, really well. Um, I know there's a, a lot of images of, on on, uh, on social media trying to show that Rhymer did have the his wrist tape under the ball, and you know that 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 was any kind of obvious obvious sign of the end result. Artie thinks he got it down as well. Rhymer says he held it up. You know, I, I don't think anyone really knows. To be honest with you, you'd ha- you'd have to think. If we're saying you need to touch a blade of grass, mate. If there was one long strand of grass, that's a try. <laughs> But uh, as I said before, just what a way to finish. And, and to me, I just want to see the the rule was applied perfectly. The TMO was applied perfectly for how we ref it. And I was pretty happy with it. Yep. If you had to call, I can tell you that Nelson definitely would have said held up. If you had to call it, uh, what would you say, Harry? Uh, I From the camera angles available, I thought held up. All right. Well, see, I thought it was a try every day of the week, personally, but that was mine. Um, but I think the best part of this is that apparently I didn't know this until um, I was talking to um, one of your mates, actually, an avid Brumbies fan, um, who's just talking about how hated Nick Berry is in, in Canberra, that they they well, the whole crowd gets up in uh, Nick Berry. So I think he's extremely lucky that uh, the TMO did, um, <laughs> did not award that to be a try because... That would have just been an extra, you know, extra mark against his name. But um, I agree with you. You can't ask for more in terms of it wasn't clear. He reviewed the TMO. TMO looked at it and the TMO said it wasn't conclusive. That's the process has been followed. They didn't waste heaps of time. Job done. End of the game. So I, I think the funny one with this is that despite the close scoreline, no one's talking about the uh, Chiefs first red game where Angus Gardner didn't even have a look at Sefa Agassi's almost try where uh, the other prop, Penny Ravi, took a kind of hit up, got half through the line, crawled to about two metres out. Fargase picks it up and kind of hits and spins. And to me on camera, it looks pretty clear that he scores the, the try. Like it was, there wasn't a lot to, to debate, but Angus Gardner said, no, you were short and then held up. So I'm not, you know, I'm not interested. I'm not going to look at it. And Fargase is there over the try line with his yeah. finger held up going, yeah, boys, I've scored it. Like, there's got to be that's that's the captain's challenge for me, you know. Like at least say, Gardner, you need to look at it or the TMO, mate. I think we should just take a breath. I know you're trying to speed the game up, but maybe we just have a look. Yeah, actually, I do remember in in his interview post game, one of the first things Tate said, um, Tate McDermott said it was he said there was a few questionable decisions in that one, but that like, was the first thing he said. So yeah. Tate was very unhappy, but uh, anyway, it was. Um... No, yeah, I mean, the uh, which, which, which again, like without going on and on, it just shows you even more how class Sevilla is. Like, Tate, of course, fuming after a fantastic effort, but the Hurricanes are even closer. So, yeah, well, well done from him. Very good. And that's why, of course, if you're joining us on YouTube, you'll see Harry's background picture is the great man himself, Artie Sevilla, sporting those, um, kind of like NBA player glasses, um, for, yeah. for training. The only man cool enough to pull it off and actually still look like a legend. That's true. He's probably selling them as part of his fashion, many fashion lines that he sells. They're probably uh, probably doing well. So there you go. 
Um, all right. Well, those were the games. Those were the talking points. Those were the listener questions. Let's move on to some news before we get into the main course of looking at the semifinals. So, news. Um, we've got uh, the Super Rugby Draft. The New Zealand Players Association executive, uh, Chief, uh, Rob Nickel has warmly embraced the possibility of a Super Rugby Pacific Draft involving Australia, New Zealand and the Pacific Nations. How exactly do you think that will work, Harry? I, I, there's so many question marks about this, but it keeps coming back up, right? Like, I think the success of American sport with drafts and bringing young players through, it's just so enticing because of that. And as a fan, I think it'd be so cool to see which young prospects going to go where. And particularly with the Aussie under 20s pushing the Kiwi under 20s so far at the moment, that maybe it will be a little bit more even than what we're used to. Um, the big thing, you know, there's a couple of big questions. Firstly, eligibility. Like, I don't think if, uh, you know, an 18-year-old Adi Sevilla gets drafted by the Western Force because they've got the first pick <laughs> that he's going to be eligible to play for Australia in five years. I would like that to be the case, but, man, that's going to be a big question mark first and foremost. Yeah. Uh, and then, obviously, also uh, the Kiwis that come to Australia and vice versa need to be eligible for their own uh, nations as well. I, I think the bigger one is just try, asking players to move so far across the country or overseas for, let's be honest, like pretty small contracts when they start as well. Like if you're on, well, well, I don't know what the minimum contract is in Super Rugby. It's like 60 grand or 80 grand or something like that. Yeah, uh, it's not a lot. <laughs> so I mean, what, being what told, we... yeah, boys, you're moving to Fiji because they got the first draft pick and we're going to pay you 60 grand. And, you know, after the first two or three years, then you can decide if you want to come home with your family. Like I'm not, there's not a knock on, on Fiji. It'd be a, a great place to play your footy, but geez, you're, you're uprooting your entire life. It's not like in, in American sport where you're essentially just uh, flying across the other side of America and getting paid 20 mil straight up in the NFL, you know, like, I know those numbers are facetious, you know, a little bit facetious, but it, it's chalk and cheese, the uh, the financial incentive to do that. That's it. I mean, didn't we look at, I think earlier this year, we were looking at, isn't rugby leagues, you know, the team salary cap is twice or if not three times that of a super rugby team as well. You know, it's a... Yeah, it's... I mean, although, that, sorry, go on. I was going to say, the positive though is in the major league rugby, the, the draft has been very successful there um, in getting rugby players out of um, the colleges in Canada and all through across America. Um, that's been been a really huge part of a like more infant competition in dividing up the players. Um, and it's worked really, really well. So, you know, it's another the way. Problem, the problem for me is the goal of Australia and New Zealand rugby is not to make super rugby the most successful comp it can be. And if it was, then it's a no brainer, but there's no doubt that if you're then splitting up the Kiwi and Aussies across all the sides, all the Pacific nations players as well, it's going to wreck your cohesion, which is just such an obvious restriction that is in such focus at the moment as well. I can't imagine any international coach for, from any of those nations going, this is a fantastic idea. I can't wait for all my best players to be split up. <laughs> this is true and and it also yeah i mean it it makes it tough on like the academies and things like that you know the way that we bring players yeah. through and, and whatever so yep no it, but interesting nonetheless anyway it's something to follow um for sure uh in other news we've got Bryn gatlin heading to the kobe steelers uh in 2024 going along with Brody retallic from the chiefs so i think he's just announced that in the last couple of days he's been he's been very good Bryn gatlin um 
and has, you know, is a Waikato man through and through. Um, and I think, you know, he's just moving on, getting some, getting some paid and whatever. It makes sense. I think, you know, number one, dad's gone. <laughs> 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 no, I'm, I am joking. It's not the reason. Tush, Wait, tush. I think it's probably reflective of the fact that Damien McKenzie is in such good form and has signed for a couple more years. So I think the writing's on the wall there, right? Like he's not going to be the Chiefs 10 for a while. He could have shipped around to yet another Super Rugby franchise, but he's done a lot of that. I think he knows that he's not going to be a long-term All Black. So why not go overseas and earn some good money? He's a quality 10 that plays, you know, controlled, smart footy. And uh, he'll go and collect a handy paycheck playing over there and playing some good footy with Brody Retallick, which is always nice as well. Yeah, I'm sure he'll thrive in that in the top league competition over there. So now before we get on to some Aussie rugby news of the week, um, let's just get on to some Springboks, some South African rugby news. It's been a while since we've talked about the old Springboks, but um the one thing that just caught my eye that I wanted to bring up is that it looks like the old, the 36-year-old Fran Stain won't be heading to a fifth Rugby World Cup with the Springboks. Um, a knee injury he has at the moment has kept him out of the 41-man squad. Still possible if he, he can recover fast enough that he, he'd be the first one off the rank to, to be called in for an injury cover. So still possible, not ruling it out, but um, looks unlikely. Um, I just thought it's epic. I mean... You got to remember this guy, he was a starting inside center back when he was, I don't know, 17 or 18 in 2007 for the Springboks. And he's still around, played such a crucial role in the the last Springbok 2019 winning World Cup team. Um, so I thought that was huge. But um... Oh, yeah, obviously, just like a, an absolute legend of the game. And we we touched on it a little while ago about, you know, Reese Hodge at 27 moving overseas. He's played 100 Super Rugby games already. I... I could only dream that Reese Hodge turns into what Fran Stain has been for South Africa. Like the versatility Stain has, his ability just to control the game with his huge boot, make impact as a big body in both attack and defense. Like he's a quality, quality player that has served them well, as you said, for seemingly a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Um, and otherwise, the only other thing that I took made of note, um, I mean, we haven't really kept in touch with all of the South African uh, rugby players, but was that Elton Yarchis didn't make the squad with Manny Libok, um, someone we kind of just saw emerging um, in Super Rugby, um, who's been absolutely crushing it um, in the last couple of years. So he's the third third fly half over for the Springboks. And otherwise, the Springboks squad looks relatively unchanged. Most of the names we know already. So they've got a very experienced squad heading over there. Yeah, crazy to think that Manny Libok, he's only 25 years old. It's been a mm. long, long time since he was, uh, since he was the young up-and-coming fly half in New Zealand, uh, sorry, playing in their Super Rugby competition. But he's obviously playing over at the Stormers now. They won the comp last year, the Champions Cup, and then they lost both the URC this year and last year in the final. And I think, did they lose the Champions Cup final this year as well to X? No, 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 no. They must have lost a semi or something. I can't remember. Because La Rochelle won the Champions Cup. Yes, Yep. But yeah, just obviously the storm was going very, very well. So probably reflective of how well they're going and he's been steering the ship then. Yep. Um, And then speaking of stains and legends, um, this was was great. I thought it was uh, Don. The last kick, kind of like the last dance, the 38-year-old lobster Mornay, as we call him, uh, Mornay Stain, played his last game for the Bulls over in Pretoria. Sounded pretty epic. I think they got a really big crowd in there. Got this standing ovation when he took the field. And um, and then, yeah, unfortunately, the Bulls blew a 19-point lead um, in the Curry Cup and lost to the Cheetahs. So um, sad way to see him off. But um, no, mate, speaking of legends, I mean, 
I think he's oh, I could be wrong. Is he the second or third top scorer in Super Rugby uh, of all time? I think he's one. He's one. I think he's two. Richie, I think Richie Mo may Has have overtaken him. Might have well. overtaken him. Okay, he's two yeah, or three. Yeah, I mean, he's he's top three. Yeah, he's obviously a legend of the game and. The super boot, like I, I remember back when he was kicking like ninety something percent for the season. He kicked like thirty six <laughs> in a row at one point, didn't he? It was just yeah. absolutely ridiculous. The quality <laughs> that that bloke had off the boot, and nothing seemed to phase him as well. And not only that, but he was never the biggest bloke. And I remember him at uh, in Pretoria kicking for distance, and he and like up at altitude kicking him sixty, like it was nothing as well. Like he's just. Yeah. What what a good career, and and sad to say it didn't end the way that he wanted. But mm. I mean, us as Aussies know all about that, and Tars fans know all about that for hoops as well. <laughs> That's it. Now, speaking of uh, coming back to some Aussies, um, Adam Col- uh, Adam Coleman, a name I was excited uh, with the the London Irish falling apart, another um, Premiership team falling apart. I was excited to see possibly would he be coming home, but um, no, it looks like the Bordeaux Beagles. Beagles, Beagles, I don't know how you say that, but the Bordeaux rugby team over in France look to be the front runners to sign his services. Uh, I'd love to know if they if they are just extending his contract, of which um, he's pretty much one of the highest paid locks in world rugby, getting paid about £900,000 a year over at London Irish. Could be why they are no longer existing, maybe, just the Adam Coleman contract. But um, no, so he's he's looking to head over to France, so not, not coming home, unfortunately. Uh, but I, you I think if he to... came home... Mm. He would get a quarter of that. <laughs> Genuinely, like at best, he yeah. would get three hundred thousand. Like he's earning what one point two over there. Like it's yeah. outrageous. There's just no way in hell, unless he was a walk up start for the Wallabies. There's no way in hell he's coming home. It's it's a tough ask, isn't it? You can't you can't really fault him for not for not heading home. But um, but no, you you that um arose your interest and you had a quick look into who who were the other Aussies at the London Irish um. And yeah, I mean, there, there's a few there, but there's probably one main one that I think is the most interesting. The uh, the Aussies that are off contract are Ollie Hoskins, the prop, Rob Simmons, the lock, Joe Powell at half, and Eddie Pullman, a young centre, I think, from Australia, ex-Sydney uni boy from um, from what I very quickly had a look at. He's, he's kind of early, mid-20s young player as well. So Pullman, you know, who, who knows, maybe he'll just look for an opportunity at one of the clubs back home, but... Wouldn't surprise me if he stays over there to develop his career. Probably hasn't paid enough to really make a name for himself yet. Joe Powell, equally, I'm not sure he'll see a a big future for himself at home. And Simmons has obviously done his dash and retired from the Wallabies. But the name at the front of the list for me is Ollie Hoskins. I Mm -hmm. think he looked really, really good when he got his Wallabies cap. Was that last year or the year before? Maybe the year before. Year before. Um, he, he he looked very, very solid. And with an, you know, a bit of an injury cloud over some of our props at the moment, not a bad shout to get him in and amongst the squad. I think he could be very, very useful for us. And no doubt we could use the uh, the depth in Super Rugby as well. So I'm not sure how enormous his contract is looking at the Adam Coleman numbers. But uh, if we can afford him, it'd be great to have him back. Yeah, no, he's an experienced campaigner. And absolutely, I agree. Could use some more depth. Um, with particularly with all our injuries uh, in the front row that seems to be constantly happening. But um, yeah, but yeah. So look, that's rugby news. I think we ended up with a fair bit of rugby news of the week. But um, with that, let's kick on to the main course, the semi-finals, the final four, and we've got a game on Friday and a game on Saturday night. First game of the round, we've got the Crusaders and the Blues down in Christchurch, and um, look, it's a rematch of last year's Super Rugby Pacific Grand Final. 
um, which was in Eden Park last year, where the Crusaders won 21-7. But, um, Harry, do you want to take us through a new injuries to report, any players returning, and also, I guess, just the last matchup this year of the Crusaders and the Blues? Yeah, yeah. So a, a few injury concerns for the Crusaders on new injury concerns on top of their long list. They've got now 11 players out through injury, but the new ones were... Ethan Blackadder is a maybe to play with a hip injury. I can only assume that's a hit pointer, but mm. um, not no actual clarity there. Zach Gallagher, the reserve lock, will be out with a calf injury. And Sam Whitelock ex- expected not to play again with a very grumpy Achilles tendon problem, which, you know, we've seen that limit a lot of game time from some of the force players. And no doubt his eyes will be firmly on the World Cup this year. So I think that uh, he's all but ruled out as well. And, you know, we mentioned Richie Moe as well to come off the field with severe cramp. I'd say he'll be fine. You know, that, that shouldn't keep anyone out. In the in return, the pickle, pickle juice and he'll be right. Yeah, exactly. Um, in the in the returning columns, you've got Caleb Clark coming back, uh, expected to be coming back from a quad injury as well. They said he trained well on Monday, no problems. Um, they hadn't completely ruled him in, but it looks like he's highly likely to play, which is a big in for them. Um, and moving on to the last matchups, well, there's a lot of history between these two sides, but it's not quite as close as what I thought it was going to be. Uh, the last matchup, they played twice this year already. It's 15 to 3 in Christchurch only a few weeks ago and 34 to 28 to the Crusaders as well at Eden Park this year as well. So they've had their number this year. Um, you mentioned the rematch of last year, but Craig, take us through the, uh, the Crusaders' ridiculous final stats that the boys are going to have to overcome. The Crusaders' final? Oh, yes, right. Of course. Well, they are, um, I mean, there's lots of crazy final stats that they kept saying in every game last week about um, how it's just impossible for any Aussie teams to beat Kiwi teams in the finals in on New Zealand soil. But there's none crazier than these stats with the Crusaders. They are 28 and zero in finals games over the 28 uh, year history of the competition. They have won 17 of their last 18 matches between them and 30 of 42 ever uh, between the Blues and Crusaders. Oh, how are they 28 and 0 in finals games over the 28 year history of the competition? How is that possible? At home. At home. I was yeah. going to say, I'm, I'm pretty sure we were there when the Tars beat them in the uh, grand finals, mate. But 28 yeah. 0 um, <laughs> um, at home in Christchurch. Yeah. Never I mean, lost the finals match at home. And, and I mean, the Blues have got a decent chance at it this week. But we'll, we'll get into why, you know. So there's a lot of injuries. We mentioned, you know, just some of the, the players that were newly out, but they're, they're without Bauer, Newell and Moody in the front row. Sam Whitelock, Mitch Dunche and Zach Gallagher in the second row. Ethan Blackadder, Cullen Grace in the back row. So just huge stocks out for them through their forward pack. Mm. Uh, and David Avili and Sebu Reese both missing as, you know, such important players from them, to be mm. honest, in their back line as well. It's it's a lot to cover for any side. I was thinking earlier when you mentioned um, Caleb Clark coming back and how that's a big in, I was thinking about how Mark Talay has just been so good that we've barely said Caleb Clark's name all year this year and just how epic he is. Now also Sebu Reese. <laughs> how how a couple of years ago, he was the player's top fantasy uh, player for about two or three years in a row. You know, just how massive he is to a team. God, it's um, it's been huge this this year in terms of new players or these players. Just, I don't know. We'll see what they can do this week. But um, 
It's hard. Yeah, like I, I think Caleb Clark's a bit patchy. He's done some amazing, amazing things. But Severi's obviously been out for the bulk of the year. I think he did his ACL, didn't he? He did. He, yeah. um, he, uh, in form, I think he's one of the key pieces the Crusaders are missing right now. You know, we'll get mm. on to the wing battle in a moment. But I, I mm. think he would make a huge in his ability not only to score points from nothing, his short kicking game, and his ability to just level anyone no matter their size. Like I'd love to mark <laughs> him up against Mark Talea and see that battle. So it's a real shame that we won't see those two going at it can you imagine as well now um just how much Lester defying anuku has developed and we see him popping up all over the field that was a very severese-esque trait that he, he just pop up all over the field can you imagine yeah. the crusaders having these two wingers that are just attacking you from anywhere and everywhere all the time like we haven't get to see that yet but that that'd be epic for next year maybe yeah absolutely just there's just so much strike power when they have a full strength side um yeah. But look, the, the question for me, or the first question for me for the Crusaders is just, is the dominant showing over the Fijian and Drua for the Crusaders a false indicator of form, given that the Indrua were clearly just emotionally spent and not got, and they didn't really get up for it? You know, they did it so convincingly, the Crusaders, despite mm. so many changes across their pack. I, I was a bit worried that they wouldn't really gel together, and they absolutely did. Now, I, I don't know if that is... A reflection of how good the Crusaders are with their second string side. But, you know, there was huge question marks through the first half of their season when they did have a lot of injuries that they couldn't really compete with the top sides. And then they get to the quarterfinals and they just absolutely pace the Andrua despite all those injuries. I I don't know. What what do you think? Yeah, look, I think um First of all, I mean, you know, you can look at the stats and just say finals crusaders are another beast altogether. Like they just go up a gear. But for mine, I think I think you can take a bit from the the dominant showing over the Drua. And for me, the thing that's really stuck out um, was just like they went back to essential crusaders dominant set piece. And I feel like they really have in the last couple of weeks, it, you've kind of seen them fall back to just dominate set piece, get penalties, kick for touch, rolling mall tries. And so the best example out of this game for me was the Fijian, uh, the Drua's scrum had actually been becoming a bit of a weapon in the last couple of weeks, particularly since they brought on um, Masaki Doge, um, or Donge, I'm not probably going to say that wrong. Yeah. Because um, he was absolutely a menace in the scrum and destroying every prop he was coming up against. And then the Crusaders, a really big in for them this week was Oli Jaeger coming back. So that allowed Tamani Williams to, well, Tamani's been switching a little bit, but at, at loose head, Cody and Jaeger. And Tamadi absolutely dismantled Donge. Uh, I think he pen- uh, Donge got about three penalties against him um, in, in, in the scrum early on. So they just went back to what works. Cody Taylor scoring two tries. It was just pressure at set piece, um, kick for touch, rolling more. And just, just that kind of clinical Crusaders set piece and then just applying pressure. It's just like turning the screws. So I think... I don't think it actually matters who they're playing. Like now they're going to play the Blues a more classier uh, side and the Blues have a great forward pack, but I just don't think that's going to matter. You know, like I think they have a fantastic front row offer and and, um, uh, and Nepo Laulala, but that's one hell of a front row for the Crusaders. The Tamani Williams has come so far, right? I think he's, he's a player that's excited me for years, just purely based on how massive the bloke is. But um yeah, just he put on a clinic in the in the scrum the last couple of weeks. And and the guy's playing, I don't know how he's playing such big minutes and still getting into everything, mate. He's he's 145 kilos or something. I just he's a hell of an athlete, that's all I'll say. 
Yeah, look, I, I had that front row battle earmarked as one of the all-important matches, and you touched on it perfectly. The, the mm. Tamaiti Williams dominance of Masaki, Masaki Donga, it was mm. completely unexpected, to be honest, shifting to the loose head side and then just completely picking him apart. I didn't see it coming. At mm. the same time, I think Offa Tungafase and Nepo Laulala were fantastic for the Blues as well against the Reds. Um, sorry, against the Waratahs. Um, it's going to be a matchup that should decide a couple of All Blacks series. In in particular, I think Nepo, you've got to you've got to lock him in. He's all class. But to Mighty Williams, after dominating Donga, if he can do something similar against the Blues this week. I genuinely believe you need to start to consider him as the All Blacks starting prop. I don't know which side, but <laughs> he's one of them. And they've got a lot of good props coming through at the moment. Well, no, you've, you've nailed it here. I mean, we're, sorry, we're talking scrumming and propping, so you've got me all excited now. But um, it's you've nailed it here. Nepo Laulala is the best scrummaging prop in New Zealand, and he's their tight head. So if you want the ultimate test for the young Tamati Williams, it's he's now coming up. If he's starting at loose head again this week, which he will be, he's coming up against Nepo. So... Consider this your your 2023 Rugby World Cup uh, All Blacks audition. Mm. Um, because, look, he, he's been in and around that All Black squad, but Fletcher Newell for the Crusaders, the other prop who's been out injured, has kind of been preferred above him, but just because he's been perhaps a little bit of a better scrummager than, than Tamati has been. But, yeah, that you're, you're absolutely right. This, I mean, I think we can say that this game, given there's so much talent in the back lines and whatever, but this game between the Crusaders and Blues is going to come down to the set piece. And a large part is going to be getting those scrum penalties to kick for touch and get territory. No, I won't have that at all. <laughs> <laughs> you won't I'm have gonna, it. No. I'm going to highlight uh, my boy, Richie Moonga, who mm. won't be my boy, I'm sure, this week. But um, <laughs> he just goes to another, another level in finals. You know, I think he was actually a little bit quiet through the back half of the season as the Crusaders started getting their other players back. And you can always tell attacking involvements through fantasy footy. And I know that doesn't translate purely to how you control the game, how well he pins the corners and those kind of things that he does do very, very well. But his stats just go through the roof through finals. I think he had like a 25 average for the last three games. And then on the weekend scored 70 odd points. Like he, he really does just, start taking the ball under his own wing. He starts running a hell of a lot more. He tackle, he busts so many tackles, which creates so much of an opportunity for the likes of Lester Fanga Anuku. Uh, I think Jack Goodhue benefits as well. Um, it's It really does create a whole other element to the attack that the defence just hasn't really had to deal with through the main part of the season. Yeah, and I think a large part of that that I've noticed, or I noticed last week, is that he um it's kind of like what Artie does as well, but he just he lifts so much in the last 20 like to 30 minutes. And in, in that second half, he just accept like the speed of the game, he accelerates so much into everything and just catches people napping. So, like obviously he plays well in the first half, but that second half finals Richie Moana. It's a new beast that. Like it is, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the wing battle. Now you wanted to talk about the the wing battle. Um, you've got some stats, you love stats. Give us the stats. I do love stats. And, you know, this this uh, this unfolded as I was thinking about it because, first of all, I went back to a point that I've been making for a few weeks, which is I love Dallas McLeod. I think he's an exceptional young player, but I really don't believe he's a winger in any way, shape or form. I think he's been very ineffective as a winger. Yes, he can finish because he's strong in a little bit of contact, but I don't think he's got the gas. I don't think he quite has his positioning down pat. 
but he's a phenomenal defender. He's at 82% in defence, which is right up there with the highest going around in Super Rugby. Um, he's going to be marking up against Caleb Clark, who similarly has an 80% defence stat. So I think if he can take the space away from Caleb Clark, because Clark, he's got him got wheels on him all day long, then he should be able to keep him quiet. But given open space, I think McLeod's going to have some work to do. Um, and then, you know, when, as I was looking into this, this just illuminated my next point about the wing battle, which is Mark Talaya, who by far the most damaging player in Super Rugby this year, he tackles at 83%, so phenomenal on both sides of the ball, but he's against Lester Fanganuku, who is only tackling at 69% for the year, significantly lower. And if you're missing three of 10 tackles, you're guaranteed to miss more than three against Mark Talaya this week. Look, that's true. I think I, I reckon that's just because Lester Fying and Nuku, probably half of his tackles are forwards. He's in there in the bloody forward pack half the time. Hey, I mean, not he's, in D's, not. <laughs> I don't know, mate. He's everywhere. But I'm um, just defending the big Islander wingers because you love them all so much. I love Fying and Nuku, mate. He's, he's, oh, so do I. But Mark Delay in the form he's in, that's a big question mark for me. Mm. How do you make sure you limit the damage of Mark Talaya? I don't really know, but it's probably yeah, not by no sending one does. Lester up. Yeah, no one does, really. But Lester, it's probably not by sending Lester up against him. you got Will Jordan coming back from his concussions, being, or not concussions, sorry, his inner ear issue and balance issues that have kept him out for a good best, best part of a year. Dallas mm. McLeod, not quite with the wheels. And then you've got... Lester Fanganuku, who is uh, who is going to have the almighty challenge. The one thing I would say is Jack Goodhue and Braden Enner are, are excellent defensive centres as well. So maybe mm. you have to shift them around and maybe you put Enor out there against him, I think, is, is another option. But either way, I, I like that matchup for Talaya. For sure. And, I mean, we're, we're going to be spoiled. That's a mouth-watering matchup. Talaya, Fanganuku, probably, I mean, I would say on the balance of the seasons, you're starting all black wingers. You know, yeah. Caleb Clark's going to have to have a hell of a game if he wants to try and uh, take back any territory in, in that battle. But, um, yeah, I think you just touching on, uh, we should move on to the Blues, but just you touching on the Crusaders, um, sent the good defensive centres, that'll be pivotal as well. Um, I, I think it's a good shout having a good defensive 13 and having to, you know, tie down Rico Ioani. I think that will be really good. Rico's really excelled the last few games, so... Yeah, now speaking question, of Rico. The question on that is going to be for me, both Braden Enner and Jack Goodhue look like they've lost a yard of pace since coming back from their respective knee injuries. So Rico obviously so quick with the ball in hand as well. I think that's where we're going to really put the litmus test in for those centres. Like they they need to have pace to keep up with the best players in Super Rugby and, you know, arguably some of the best players in the world. Yep, absolutely. Um, all right, well, we'll move on to the Blues. Speaking of Rico, it's his 100th game. Um, how how good? I mean, already. I, how old is he now? Is is he twenty five? Got to look. Sixteen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I told you. I can't remember if I brought it up on the pod, but um, as I look up his age, uh, twenty six. Yeah. Um, that I had seen randomly on social media some picture of. Uh, I think it was twenty fifteen an All Black Sevens team, which had both Akira Rico, Sonny Bill Williams, Ben Lamb. Um, I forget it well. Just like the. Probably like the dream team of rugby sevens, um, and it just it made me think how long Rico's been around for already, and he's only twenty six. A hundred games at twenty six. Yeah, crazy. As a, as a as an outside back, winger outside center and outside back, like oh. insane. Sadly, he's only got one more year in the All Blacks because they cut a run at twenty seven. <laughs> That's true. May, well, you maybe not an outside center though. Maybe not an outside center. <laughs> That's true. Um. And it's also Hoskins to 50th game. So big from him. Um, so they'll both be looking for the win. 
Now, we talked about the scrum battle already. Um, I think that'll be massive. Um, you wanted to talk about lineouts. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the question we asked last week was Patrick Turbolotto fracturing his arm out for the season. He was a big loss, or we think he's a big loss for the Blues. And we were wondering how they were going to go at the lineout against the Waratahs, who actually have a lot of jumpers, albeit all kind of hybrid back rowers and jumpers, but they do have a lot of them. Um, the answer is very, very well. <laughs> they, they won 88% of their lineouts, 15 of the 17. And I just wonder if it's going to be a harder... Do you think it's a harder task against Dog Roll, um, Scott Barrett and Quinton Strange? I think it, no doubt it would have been a lot harder with Sam Whitelock there, but not being in, what do you think? I do. Uh, it's it's just it's, it's set pace Crusaders. It's going to be tough against tougher against the Crusaders for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I guess this is going to be where we find out how well they can really handle the set piece without Patrick Tobolotto, which is is one question mark for me. Um, the other one I had down was just the Bryce Heem factor. Now last year Bryce Heem was this just breakout older player coming back into the Blues that played anywhere across the back line and tore it up in every single position. This year, we seemingly hadn't seen him until probably the last three or four weeks of the season. He started his second game at inside centre last week. He'd also started two in the kind of rested sides, really, at outside centre when Rico needed a rest. And now all of a sudden, he's jumped ahead as the first choice inside centre and seems to be absolutely dominant in both sides of the ball, attack and defence. I think he adds a huge layer to their game. I think he's a key, key player for them and his ability to not only run but then helps feed the ball to the outside backs. He's just an awesome, awesome player that it's, uh, to me, it changes the entire challenge of defending the back line of the Blues, having him there instead of Plummer. Yeah, Mr. Fixit. Um, I mean, look, he's 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 been the Blues' best 12. I think that's pretty... He hasn't even played that much footy, but he's been the Blues' best 12. Um, obviously, I really did enjoy RTS, and I think RTS brings something different, but Bryce Heem has been fantastic. He just... He trucks it on, and um, yeah, he just... He, he, he kind of can get you on a lot of elements, and even at... Even at 34, he's still got a lot of pace on him. So, yeah, very, very good. Um, all right, so tips for this one. Uh, I'm going to let you have the honour of going first um, on how you see this match uh, match going. You just Firstly, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> the, I think the thing that's the hardest about this is coming into finals, I thought the Crusaders had hit their straps and it was going to be an easy decision. Then they had a whole host of injuries and now it makes it a hell of a lot harder. Take out Sam Whitelock and Ethan Blackadder in particular from that Crusaders pack when they're already a little bit depleted or quite depleted. And it, uh, it does change the complexion of the game. Complexion of the game, sorry. Um, and then the Blues, I, I thought they were in pretty average form for their lofty standards coming into finals. And I thought they were excellent against the Tars. One of the most dominant performances from them for the entire competition. So it's it's really leveled it up for me. I know the Crusaders will be favourites, and I'm going to give it to them purely based off those outrageous stats. Like, can they really go 28 and one to finish Razor Robinson's six year <laughs> winning streak like that? Like, surely not. Surely the only time they're allowed to lose is against the Chiefs next week if the Chiefs get through. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go Crusaders, but it's going to be by. You know, a last-minute conversion or penalty or something like that. So I'll go by two. Oofed. Well, look, I agree with you. Um, Crusaders are winning this game. It's in Christchurch. Just it's happening. Um, and I'm going to say by a little bit more than two. I'm going to go by seven. So there you go. Wow. You I got no faith in the Blues, mate. The, your your background there, the boys. Yeah. Look, 
I love my Ioannis. It's just the Crusaders are just too clinical. And and I feel like a couple of weeks ago, I might have thought differently. But just in the last few weeks, it, I think it actually started, I don't know, this is probably quite a few weeks ago, but the game against the Force at home in Christchurch where they tore them apart, but just with absolutely executing set piece. It's, it's since then... Um, they've been a whole new team and they've just been going back to what has worked for them. And um, I can't see them losing. So, yep, by seven. Mm. Yep, nice one. That takes us to the other final. And that is, of course, the Chiefs versus the Brumbies. Um, big one here. The last matchup was 21 to 31 to the Chefs in Canberra in round 14. And they were so clinical. That scoreline flatters the Brumbies. They were just absolutely outdone it's going to be interesting to see how they come back for that a few returning players hopefully for both sides um we had uh josh lord i think there was some a question mark around him with a shoulder injury but i'm um, not really sure if that's going to cost him game time or not hmm. um yep so um, he's, he's an injury or a possible returning we don't know we'll see yeah no i think he's an injury he played on the weekend um right. returning though we've got luke jacobson was benched late last week meant to be the starting eight because he was dealing with illness through the week so you'd assume he's going to start again tupo Bai had a low-grade mcl injury that cost him last week originally a couple of weeks ago when he did the knee injury they said that he was basically guaranteed to play the semi so I guess that means that uh, we should be expecting him to return, which is a pretty like for like, so not like for like, sorry, a pretty good sub for Josh Lord. And then Alex Nankavell as well. Um, we haven't had any details as to what his shoulder injury was. I thought it was like a little subby, like partial dislocation or stinger or something like that, which, you know, they, they really vary how quickly they can return. So I don't think it's out of the question that he returns, but mm. uh, obviously got to watch this space. Nothing being published at this point. And on the Brumby side of things, you've got Corey Tool, who obviously missed last week with an ankle injury. They said he's progressing quite well, um, obviously needs to get through training. And I think the way that the Brumbies play is if you're not fit to train for the bulk of the week, they normally chuck you on the bench. So I'm not sure if that's how they use Corey Tool, but um, obviously going to be cutting it close for him as well. Yeah, and you think there's some players that can play with maybe a little bit of a sore ankle, but um, the Jet Shoes, Corey Tool, um, you need you need him. And he's a huge point of difference. He's a player they'd love to have back out there, but he needs the wheels to be in action. He needs to fine-tuned. Um, all right, the Chefs, uh, talking about lineups. Um, look, we've talked about locks. I mean, yeah, if they have Vaye and Brady Retallick in there, they've got pretty much one of the best locking <laughs> pairs in the competition. Um then I guess they're spoiled for backups uh, in terms of the bench. So could see Lord Natoya Akoi, who's a bit more versatile, can play in the the row in the back row as well, um, or even Laglan McWannell or Manaki Selby Rickett. They literally have loads of locks, but suspect it's going to be Lord or Akoi. Um, do we think? I reckon they're going to go with the same back row that they had named to start last week, which is Finn out six, Jacobson at eight, and. Um, Sam Kane at seven, Peter Gus back to the bench, even though Peter Gus had a pretty good game. Is that what you see happening? Yeah, I think so. So Finau was very, very good again. So I think he'd probably just edged ahead of Peter Gus, obviously evidenced by the fact that he was in their original starting side and Peter Gus was on the bench. But mm. I think he probably was slightly the better player last week as well. So that that's what I think will happen. Um, back to what was expected and Peter Gus will come off the bench with 30 to go or something like that for Finau. 
Yep, fair. And then in terms of the backs, the question we've we've talked about with those centers all the time is um if Nankavel is fit, um do we I think we all agree that given the cent Quintapire out for the season, their best centers if Nankavel's available is ALB at twelve, Nankavel thirteen. Yeah, surely. But then I think the versatility of Poi Hippie means that you definitely put him on the bench. We know he can play 10 and 12. ALB can play 12, 13. DMAC, you know, there's, there's such a versatile, versatile back line. I guess the question for me is if Poi Hippie is benched, then what does that mean for Joshua? Because I think Daniel Rona is probably the specialist outside centre. No one else really quite fits that to the same quality as anybody else in that side. I know ALB could shift out for Poi Hippie, but, you know, ALB goes down. I think that's the only question mark they could have for the entire side. Um, does Daniel Roney get dropped off the bench then and you play Poi Hippie or do you play both of them? Or what, what do you think? Well, I was going to say, if I, if um, Daniel Roner as well, um, I'm surely, you know, could play wing as well. You know what I mean? He's just, he's got that pace. Yeah. He's younger I think so. So I agree. Look, I think I think Poi Hippie probably has to be you go on the bench and Joshuani um might just drop out. Like the only saving grace with Joshuani is that he can play fullback as well, and they've played him a bit of fullback. Um, but yeah, it's a hard one. I mean, do we it would seem weird to, it seems weird, but also like it could work having a, a Poi Hippie and Rona on your bench. But it, that still feels weird. I think we'll only see one of them, Poi Hippie or Rona on the bench. And yes, I suspect so do I. we will see Joshuani. I, I think the other thing going for Joshuani is he started in that game against the uh, the Brums in Canberra where they played so, so well and they shifted uh, DMAC back to 15. So I think that's kind of a little feather in his cap to give him the, the uh, nod ahead of the others as well. Yep, very good. Uh, scrum time. Um, the Chiefs got asked um, some big questions at scrum time um, against supposedly the worst scrum in the competition. Uh, yeah, the, the Reds did have a good crack at scrum time for them. I, I think they were dominant. They didn't get everything their own way, but for a team that has been absolutely shown up, uh, shown up through the whole season, you know, Seth Agarse, I think, had a fantastic game. Mm. Um, the best I think I've seen him play, but it was completely unexpected for them to be able to test the Chiefs scrum, who have been one of the best themselves in the comp. So, I, you know, I think we've had question marks around John Ryan's quality at this level with Super Rugby coming across at such a later age. Um, obviously a very accomplished player, very, very experienced, but I, I think George Dyer has been really good. And uh, I, I guess for me, I'd be looking at starting George Dyer. Yeah, true. I mean, look, age is no uh, no burden for uh, for props, mate. They're like a fine wine, mate. The older they get, the better they get, the more seasoned. Well, I guess there's, he's just never been good enough then. There's, there's some exceptions <laughs> like the young Tamati Williams and Taniela Tupo and players with Angus Bell. Yeah, but um, by and large, yeah, no, I agree. Um and, you know, finals footy and particularly against, you know, if you're playing the Brumbies or the Crusaders like or the Blues, all these teams, set pieces is, is paramount, right? Like these teams all have, they're all there in the finals because they had do the fundamentals very, very well. So, yeah, it is, they're going to certainly have to whip, whip that scrum into shape. Um, and, yeah, I don't see any drastic changes. Like I, I don't think we'll see, I don't know if he's still fit, but, you know, Atu Moli or anyone else come in. So it is... Yeah, maybe maybe they do switch it up off the back of that, and John Ryan uh, goes to the bench. George Dyer comes in, and they kind of have been swapping that around all season. So, yeah, I think that's that's fair. Aiden Ross had a good game in at uh, loose head. I think we'll see him keep that jersey. Um, Ollie Norris provides good support off the bench, but uh, yeah, they'll certainly have to pick up in that area. Yeah, and I, look, I I think the other thing for the Chiefs is 
it's going to come down to defence for them. You know, they they obviously had a pretty frustrating game against the Reds last week, just fielding kicks all night. Um, I think the uh, coaching team after, I don't know if it was McMillan or someone else, had basically said that, yeah, they got caught in a kicking duel with the Reds and the same might be coming for them this week. They said that they had wished they'd played with the ball a little bit more rather than just kicking back and forth all game. Um, so I think they'll probably learn from that and try and counter-attack a little bit more, which is, you know, juicy for fantasy footy mm. managers like <laughs> you and I. But um, their D against the Brumbies a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago now was just absolutely outstanding. The inability for the Reds to convert pressure into points whenever they entered the red zone was unbelievable. You know, I, I remember the Brumbies just battering away at that trial line of the Chiefs getting up and just knocking the back time and time again. The Brumbies going time and time again to the uh, rolling mall and the Chiefs just not giving an inch and they they had no answers, the Brums. So I think the Chiefs will know that if they can D up in the same kind of vein this week, then they're going to be hard to beat. Yep, agreed. Um, let's move on to the Brumbies. Um, we've talked Chiefs. Uh, I think you just nailed it. <laughs> Likely to kick the ball a lot. Um, do we, and I guess with that in mind, do we see Jack Debrasini start again? Over Nolosia, the guy has the biggest cannon probably in Super Rugby. Um, do we see him just there to to pin them back in that half? This is this is a really interesting one for me because mm. Jack Debrisani only started last week because Noel Alessia was not fit to train for the whole week, which is why they benched him. I think he was coming back from illness or something like that. But yeah. then Jack Debrisani goes out and has arguably his best Super Rugby game of his career, <laughs> steers the team around, looks so composed, makes all the right decisions, and he just has that booming boot, which is, I think, still the biggest in Australia. I think he might have Reese Hodge covered. Like, it is that big. Yeah. And then Noel Alessio, you know, he's been all right, but I don't think he's been going from completely from strength to strength. And if the game plan is to kick long and turn them around... You know, I think it's obvious that Nick White will play a big, big role. But do you just start with Jack Deb just to pin them back? Or are you better to start with Noel Lolaseo as the main the main uh, quarterback steering the ship around and then use Debrasini to try and pin them late in the game? It's it's a tactical decision for me. I don't think it's obvious which way they go. I think the, re- the reality is Nick White's probably the best kicking nine. Ryan Lonergan is accurate but not as long. Um, and equally, Jack Deb's got the extra length against um, against Noel Alessio. So maybe they do bench him just purely so that when they make the change for Ryan Monaghan, Jack Deb can come in and pin him back as well. But it, it's a big decision for Larkin. That's true. I hadn't considered that. When you bring Lonergan on, um, you lose the white boot, but you bring in, introduce the Debrasini boot. That's that's a good point because I was, I was actually going to lean the other way. I was thinking, I think you start with Jack Deb. Pin him back, keep him in back there, and then as soon as if, if that's not working, the game plan's not working. Could be even in the first half. Could be twenty minutes in. You bring Noah on playing the rest of the game. You know what I mean? That's that's what I was thinking, and I agree with you. Jack, Deb has had his best game last week, but he's had a few good games for the Brumbies. Um, yeah. Whereas Nolasia, we haven't we saw that one game when he was playing against the Rebels, where he scored that try and said Carter who or whatever it was at the cameras, mm-hmm. but. Um, other than that, we haven't seen some of his best footy this year. So, so. will we see a Noel Alessia try and he gets up and says, Damien who? <laughs> Not sure. I don't think he'll be that bold. You know what I mean? I, just I think can't. he's going to score four tries to say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Got he just he bleaches, bleaches his hair blonde before the game as well or something. You know, he just goes real <laughs> Um But no, yeah. uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how. We, uh, I agree. That's incredibly interesting. I don't know how we'll see that play out. So I'm sure Stephen Larkin will know best, and we'll see what um, what he's got. But the things I do know more about, um, we've already talked about, is just the set piece. Um, again, like the Crusaders, Brumbies through and through, um, they need to rely heavily on this. And this is an area where they will want to attack the Chiefs because, as good as their outside backs and everything are. You, you, you're not you're not coming you're not uh you're not firing shots really against those chiefs outside backs i mean shoot an arawa nanasaturo and nanasaturo particularly has just been getting really good at the end of this season um no the, the area that you can attack the chiefs is is at set pace and you want to score some rolling ball tries so with alan alan altoa still out they're just you know kautai is going to have to really step up um I, I for me this is the question right like mm. I, I think first and foremost the the tight head they choose has to be their best scrummaging tight head there's mm. an opportunity there after watching the reds i think that you have to take this set piece ball away from them with how lethal their backs are who's mm. their best scrummaging tight head so sefo kaltai i thought was fantastic last week particularly around the field. And then Reese Van Neck has been a very good scrummaging option whenever he's come on. Who who do you think is the starter and who do you finish with? Yeah, look, Van Neck's the better scrummager. Um, Reese, and he literally has no neck. Um, he's built to scrummage. Whereas That's Kautai, what Van means. Yeah. <laughs> Reese, no neck. <laughs> but um, Alan Alatoa is like a combination of Kautai and Van Neck. He has both the great scrummaging and is great around the field. Yeah. Whereas Kautai and Van Neck kind of bring the two separate dimensions. So by that logic, yeah, you'd want to start with Van Neck um, and just nail that set piece and then bring on Kautai kind of when game's starting to slow down a bit so, so he can be more impactful around the field um, at that point. So, or, I mean, you can you can toss it on its head and say, you know, in the last 20, you want to make sure you really nail the set piece. I don't know, but... Um, I, I, I reckon just... with both of them being a little bit young... I reckon they just go 40H, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, even do that, you know. Um, but but I think the question is, who do you start with? Like, I, I and I, I don't know. I think I, I would go Van Neck. I, I dare say they'll go Kautai, but I would go Van Neck. I, I think actually, it's all kind of like one question. So I think if you want to put your best scrummager on, like if you're starting Deb Debrasini, then you also start Van Neck. You just really nail set piece kicking. That's your team strategy. And if it's not working, if you aren't overcoming the Chiefs. You change on, you bring on the players who are going to speed it up a bit. Noah Lulaceo, Kautai. And, you know, kind of like Brad Thorne did weeks ago, you, you you don't be afraid to bring him on before halftime. You know what I mean? Just like... I, I like what you're saying, but the problem is, what happens if it is working? <laughs> then you can't take them off. You, you, you don't want to go, all right, well, this tactic is working really well. Now let's speed the game up. Like, you don't want to do that. Look, this is true. You've made a great point. Um <laughs> But at the same point, I mean, in finals footy, like yes, the Chiefs are a team that are, that are going to play until the very end, like the like the Hurricanes did last last week. And I guess this is going to be counterproductive to what I said about how the Hurricanes had such a good second half. But um, I was just going to say, momentum is everything. Like if you if you're ahead on the scoreboard in the second half, you've nailed it with Jack Debers and and uh, Van Neck on there. You've crushed the set piece and everything. If you've got a, you're not really going to get far enough ahead on the scoreboard. But if you're ahead. Then maybe you can bring on uh, bring on these players and change up the strategy a little bit towards the end of the game. But or I don't know. Look, I mean, they can just play eighty then. Debers and Van Neck to play the full game. All right, it's a sure, you know, okay. We got it. That's it. Uh, look, one more question. We we touched on it last week. Tom Hooper, do you start him? He obviously came on at halftime for Caden Neville. To yeah. our knowledge, that's not because of an injury. They just wanted to give Hooper forty, and they're trying to work out the best way to balance it. 
I think really interesting. That means that Jerome Brown is obviously rated as important enough in the balance of this team that they need him on the field. We've spoken at length about the fact that we think it should be Hooper, Valentini, and Pistol Pete as the back row, which allows you to keep Caden and Frosty on the in the locks there. But do you think it'll just be rinse and repeat from last week, or is Hooper just his form just too irresistible to let out? No, look, I, I do think it'll be rinse and repeat from last week. So I think I just think they really like that balance of Brown, Samu, and Valentini. So I and I think the way I see that is because we've always said Samu can play six, seven, and eight, but we don't see him play a lot of seven. Right? We don't see him hit a lot of those rucks. He doesn't really fill that role. So I think I think Brown they do see Brown as much more important in that composition than we give him credit for, uh, because otherwise you're asked like. Part of Samu's game of playing the full 80 minutes is being out on the wings a little bit, playing a bit wider, things like that. Whereas if you're asking him to get in there and play seven, get into every breakdown, he's not gonna you're not gonna get extract as much value out of him. So so I think it'll be a rinse and repeat. I think we'll see Tom Hooper come off the bench and play the second half. Yeah, very good. Um the other question, or the second last question I've got for you was how can the Brumbies break the Chiefs D down after they obviously didn't have any answers a few weeks ago? Um, well, they're going to need Corey Tool to start playing, um, to start this game. I'll tell you that much. Uh, he's look, I mean, Tom, Tom Wright and well, I mean, you know how the pod, everyone who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about Andy Muirhead. Uh, don't know how the bloke's still playing, but look, um, Ben Corey Tool, he's just, he's an absolute point of difference. And we've talked, I've just talked about how electric the, the outside backs are of the Chiefs, like. On the balance, that's probably the best. It's almost the, the best three. If you're looking at a combined three back, back three in the Super Rugby competition, like, yes, obviously, Talaya on, on his own is amazing. Lester Fyanganuku and Will Jordan, pretty close, but they don't have Sever Reese. If, if the Crusaders had Sever Reese, best back three. Chiefs, on the balance of the competition, have the best back three. Sure. Um, so Corey Tool's the only one who can actually outpace all three of them uh, and anyone else on the field. And so... Um, yeah, yeah, you need to get him the ball, give him that tiny bit of space, you know, open the door for him, and he's he's going to have to create some big moments in that game and take those opportunities. It um, would be really I, interesting if the Brumbies do kick a lot and the Chiefs don't just run it back and, and go away from what they did last week, don't want to just counterattack. Giving the ball back to Corey Tall in space is probably the worst thing the Chiefs can do because he doesn't have to be the best player on the park to score. He just has to be the fastest, which he absolutely <laughs> is. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you just just go back and look at his rugby sevens tries. Like, you know, it looks like nothing's on there, and he just goes, "Sweet, I'll just run laps around you." That's fine, mate. It's like it's like playing rugby oh seven back on the console. You yeah. just kind of turn little laps around, and anyway. But so I think that's that's the first thing. How do the Brumbies break down the Chiefs' uh, D? It's Corey Tool does it himself, and otherwise, it's set piece. It's rolling mall. We need to see the absolute best of the Brumbies' rolling mall. And that comes from, yeah, they've got to nail the scrum. They've got to get those penalties. They've got to get the territory. Debez has got to kick some massive 50-22s. They've got to be getting those lineouts down in the 22. And then they need, yeah, like I just said, the absolute best of their rolling mall because they're going to need to score some tries there. And that's that's a tall order. That's a very hard ask against the Chiefs. I think, I think we have seen an uptick in that, though, mind you. You know, I thought it was better last week against the Hurricanes. I reckon the Brumbies have realised that they've really weakened the strength there and there's been a bit of a focus in the last few weeks. So it will be very interesting to see how that battle goes in the rolling mall attack versus D. 
this week because I think the Bruns know just how important it is to them and I dare say they'll be practising rolling malls for the bulk of their week. Yep. Now I've got the last question for you. We said second last before, but this is the last. Lenny Kitao, old mate has been in some form. Can he just run over over his lines or just run over ALB um, and can he be the point of difference of the Brumbies? I think, as you said, he has just been in some outrageous form. Um, I don't know if there's any centre at the moment that has his number. Anton Leonard-Brown, at his best, I would suggest, probably could have him covered. He's still tackling at 92% for the year, so he doesn't miss a lot. But if there's anyone that can test him, it'll be uh, it'll be Lenny Ikatao. I I'd suggest, at best, what we'll see is that one big moment from him against ALB or against the Chiefs D this week. I don't think you're going to see him run right like he quite did last week. But, yeah, I, look, I think he's good enough to make a moment which could be pivotal. Very good. All right. Look, I made you go first last time. Um, I will. I will go first with a tip on this game. I think the Chiefs are going to win. The Chiefs has just been too good the entire season. <laughs> Big sigh there from Harry. Um, they've been too good the entire season. They've only lost one game, uh, and that's for a reason. They've just across the board been too good. We said their scrum looked a little want left wanting last week. They'll fix that up. Um, and then they just they just have too much class. I think so. I think the Chiefs are going to win this at home and head into the Super Rugby Grand Finals. I think they're going to win by eight points. Ooh. Yeah, look, I'm I'm with you. I think the uh, no Aussie team will have ever won in New Zealand in a final still in 2023. Mm-hmm. I've got Chiefs by 10. Chiefs by 10, yeah. I mean, we want to be wrong. Don't get oh, yeah, we so want badly. To be, <laughs> we want to be showing up here, but uh, that's, that's the reality. Now, let us push on to our da 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 deserto. Deserto. This week we're going to talk about. So again, we're going through the Wallabies team, and we're going to talk about Wallabies centre combos. We were just talking up the with high the high praise of Len Ikatow. So Harry, do you want to go? Th- what what format do you want to do? Do you want to go through the incumbents? kind of categorize the, the groups of center pairings yeah look i think the the incumbents are easy right like i think everyone would agree it's karevi and ikatao and if they're fit there are 12 and 13 and we don't really have to worry <laughs> it's just done and it's that easy yeah. i think the question becomes if one of those guys go down where to next and that's where the debate starts i think we've got listed for the up-and-coming players or the players that are i guess probably pushing from there I would think it's probably Forgetti and you could go either way on the other centre, but I'm going to say Parisi, given he's kind of back half of the season. For the Smokies or the next tier down, I had Hunter Paisami and Fluke. And then the other names that, you know, may emerge that are probably coming from a way back. Hamish Stewart's probably the first one. Then I think the likes of the Brumbies duo, Oli Satsford, Tamati Tour have been good. Isaac Henry's had his moments when fit, and David Felawaii is uh, their new up and coming centre. Surely, surely too far for all of the uh, the uh, the outside picks. Do you think the Romanian Rumbler? Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you know when you talk about the Wallabies backline, there's no position where you can't leave Reese Hodge out of though in the discussion. Um, <laughs> this is how it works. But uh, yeah, it's a no brainer. Karevi Nikitao, 
Um, Hunter Paisami, sadly, we haven't. He's been injured a lot of the season. We haven't seen his form, yeah. but he he would usually be my third choice up there. Just he's had some hell of a games uh, in the gold jersey. Um, I agree. Uh, but a, pl- a player, I guess, for me, third, uh, who I'd rank third at the moment would be Isaiah Parisi. Um, he started off the season, you know, slowly coming back from injury, but um, in the last second half of this season, he's probably been the Tars' best player. Uh, in the last few games, he's been playing some outstanding footy. It's just um, the problem is, I guess, Ikatau and Parisi are so clearly just 13s. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not like you can throw them yeah. into 12, whereas Karevi is a 12 or a 13, but the 12 um, and Paisami can play 12 and 13. So I think, I think really Ikatao Parisi are 13s. Karevi is a, is a 12 or 13, but 12 probably. And then Paisami is your backup. Um, so I would, I would still pick Paisami over for Ketty. Um, that's just to a show. I'm not a biased Waratahs fan and B um, I've always just loved Hunter the Hitman. So um, it's got a soft spot in my heart, um, but yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm not sure we'll see any bolters in this position, but for mine, the only thing that really matters is we need to get Sam McGrevy in a gold jersey this year. Yeah, I, I think it's a no-brainer. And obviously, um, this this brings me to my next point, which is the Eddie Jones barbarian experiment. I think mm-hmm. he just keeps putting his, his hand up as a barbarian's coach because it gives him an opportunity to draw international players together to give them game time. And there has been the uh, the latest announcement that he is again going to coach the Barbarians through a tour of England where they're going to take take on some of the uh, premiership sides. I think they've got a handful of games. I'm trying to work out when it is. Yeah. Um, I, I hadn't I seen that, but it'd be great if it's like Eddie's like, yeah, and no, no, I'm coaching the Barbarians. And they're like, Eddie, why are um, 14 out of 15 players uh, Wallabies players in your Barbarians side. Uh, no reason. No, no reason. That's just who was available. It's a, uh, you know. Well, he, he basically already hinted at the fact that it's going to be Wallabies heavy. So, uh, you know, when, whenever it is, there's no doubt that there's a hidden agenda. Not a hidden, probably a pretty obvious, honest mm-hmm. agenda there that Eddie Jones, yes, he wants to ca- coach the Barbarians, but he wants to test out some combinations as well. So hopefully we do see some of those outside players like a fluke or maybe an Isaac Henry or even like a Parisi or Hunter Paisami to get their opportunity to try and put their name back up in the forefront of his mind. And that's a huge benefit of getting Eddie Jones, getting the high profile of Eddie Jones back as your Wallabies coach, because he can do that, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if we'd be seeing Rennie being the Barbarians coach. Do you know what I mean? It probably would be Eddie, regardless of where he showed up, just in terms of he's probably the biggest profile coach in world rugby at the moment so i uh i i did get the details sorry as as i just caught up then the uh barbarians features are happening during the world cup so it means that he's basically gonna then pick a bunch of wallabies players that aren't in the 33-man squad did us tour around England and play. So essentially, if any of the 33-man squad from the Wallabies get injured, they've got these playing players that are touring around, playing in a professional side and keeping fit just uh, to call straight over to the Wallabies. So I like it. I think you're going to see James O'Connor in there as well. Uh, there's going to be a few. Bernard Foley surely goes on tour with the uh, with the Barbarians this time as well. It's All genius. part of the master plan. All part of the master plan. Um, Love it. I'm amazed that it's during the World Cup. That's um, that seems pretty weird. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> but I like he, Eddie probably changed the dates. He goes, no, no, it's fine. And they go, Eddie, that's during the World Cup. He goes, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's fine. 
<laughs> anyway, look, I, I I didn't think that uh, we'd have so much uh, agreement here mm. uh, about the centers. I, I think probably the only question mark here is who's your backup. You only get to pick one. You got Kirby and Ikatau. I'm assuming we've all got what? Tell me your bench back. If, if you can only if you can only pick one for me, I'm picking Hunter because he can play both 12, 13. Now I want you to tell me your bench centers and outside backs. So let's let's say we go on a five three split for the Wallabies. You've obviously mm. got your reserve halfback. Who's your other two backs? You got Kirby and Ikatau starting. Who else do you put on there? Reese Hodge is, is the ultimate twenty three net, isn't he? Yeah, okay. That's an easy. It's a get out of jail free, and then it's um. If you've got Reese Hodge, I know. He's, well, it depends. Is 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 Bataya available? Is he starting? Is he where's where's Bataya at? You took the words right out of my mouth. Sorry, you'll be fine. I, I, I think the same. I've got Reese Hodge to cover the centers if needed, mm. and uh, Jordy Bataya, who can cover at a stretch outside centre, as we've seen him do when he was only 19 years old, carving up England. But uh, that covers the whole back line, gives you a long boot to finish the game, give you some experience. I, I think it's a, a very good way to go, which means despite the fact that we're having a discussion about Wallaby centres, we're probably only picking two in our match day 23. Yeah, I mean, the only other things there are, yeah, I mean, depending on where Pattaya is, on where Kellaway is and things like that, um, we could see... Could see James O'Connor and Reese Hodge on the bench. Um, O'Connor, of course, 10 and 12 cover. Um, could see... I really hope that they don't use Kellaway or see him as a 13 capacity, but like the Rebels have, I just he's a winger or a fullback of mine, but it's possible. So, yeah, I think we're, we're very much in agreement. We just we don't have Nelson here to throw some rogue strategy out there and to just disagree with us for the sake of disagreement. So... Um, Nelson just texted me. He said Fraser McWright as the reserve center. <laughs> okay, now that that yeah. does check out. But um, very good. All right. Well, look, that's another episode of the Draft Rugby Show, and uh, we'll be back next week. Nelson, might, if he didn't win his fantasy matchup with Harry, will have fled the country, so might not return on the pod. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk all we'll talk you through the semifinals and look to the big dance. The final super of super rugby pacific and good mate good luck mate this uh this time next week you might have your name in another trophy no 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 no, mate. there's no come on mate that's not gonna happen i don't know how i'm gonna overcome this 150 deficit but i'm gonna find a way all right very good we will catch you in the next one